This podcast is brought to you by Bruner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit LizBruner.com and take your skills to the next level. Peanut butter and banana, zucchini and carrot, mixed berry and almond. No, I'm not talking about fruits and vegetables or even dessert. Those are just three of the delicious flavors of, wait for it, healthy frozen waffles created by a woman who left the partner track at a prestigious law firm in Chicago to become an entrepreneur and chef, launching a frozen waffle business at the beginning of the pandemic. And joining me from the Windy City, my guest, Emily Groden, CEO and founder of Evergreen. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me and for that amazing introduction. I, I wish you could see the big smile on my face as I was listening to it. Well, I have to tell everybody, in, in the, the name of research, I tried your waffles over the weekend. And I have to say, so far, I think my favorite might be the berry and almond with peanut butter and banana as the close to second. Do you have a favorite, if that's even possible? Or what about your family? <laughs> it's kind of like asking which of your children is your favorite. <laughs> I love them all. My go-to is a mixed plate of all of the flavors. I think my husband would say zucchini and carrot is his. Probably also my two-year-old daughters, but we like them all. It's their neck and neck. Oh, well, they are delicious. Your waffles are made with 100% whole wheat, no refined sugar, dairy, no preservatives, all of that. I'd, I'd say that that's pretty healthy. And you've had this passion for healthy food long before your interest in law. You're an avid athlete, competitive swimmer. You competed in the Ironman race. You even qualified for the Boston Marathon. So you have had this lifelong quest for healthy snacks to fuel your body. Yet, I'm curious, you ignored this itch that you had for food. And when you went to Yale undergrad and then to Harvard Law, and you somehow ended up handling mergers and acquisitions, <laughs> when did you realize that you were more excited to be out of the office, away from the computer screen and in the kitchen? Pretty close to day one in my job <laughs> at, a, at a big law firm. There were kind of many hints along the way, starting at a young age when I was training very seriously as an athlete. And I think one of my favorite parts about being a serious athlete was that I could eat whatever I wanted. But I always kind of thought food was just my hobby. And then I took a couple of classes, both at Yale and at Harvard, related to food law and policy. And they were far and away my favorite classes that I had taken. It was the first time the assigned reading really felt more like pleasure reading. And yet still, I just ignored that uh, <laughs> sign that maybe, that maybe I should do something food related or at least food and law related. I had long dreamed of being a lawyer, specifically a corporate lawyer. and I really had tunnel vision. I was, I was kind of on a train that was picking up speed with each step along my education and career and didn't even think seriously about hopping off that train. But I got to my big law firm in Chicago and very quickly realized that while I really liked the people I was working with and I liked the work okay, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything I was really excited to get up out of bed in the morning and go do. And if I had to work really late at night, I, I wasn't excited about how much I was learning or what a great experience that was. I was kind of more resentful about it. Mm. And I really wanted to be spending more time in the kitchen. And I wanted to be learning more about food through TV and, and books and, and podcasts instead. And that was the big sign for me. Wow. Well, you did sort of have a few interim steps between actually leaving the law firm and becoming this entrepreneur chef. 
because you were brave enough to reach out with a cold email to the owner of a famous Chicago restaurant. What happened with that? (laughs) Well, as I said, when I was at the big law firm, I spent kind of every waking moment when I wasn't in front of my computer doing something related to food. So whether that was in the kitchen, making things from scratch or soaking up food related television or other media. And I was sitting on my couch one night after I'd finished up work and I turned on Netflix, the um, show Chef's Table. I don't know if you've watched it or heard of it, but it's a great show. Highly recommend. Literally changed my life. So very highly recommend it. (laughs) But I found the episode about Alinea, which is a three Michelin star restaurant in Chicago. At the time, I lived a few miles away. I had never been, but figured it was a a good episode to start with. By the end of the episode, I was so overwhelmed with inspiration. And, you know, really that I saw in the chefs that passion that I did not have for my big law job (laughs) that I had hoped I would have, but didn't. And, you know, I was just so blown away by the beauty of the food and the creativity of the chefs and just the passion and love with which they talked about their trade. And I opened up my laptop and I Googled the co-founder of the group, whose name is Nick Kakonis, and I, I managed to find his email online. And I, without thinking, just sent him off a really quick email essentially asking if he needed a lawyer, thought I would never hear from him, which is probably part of the reason I had the guts to send the email in the first place. (laughs) Nothing Uh, ventured, nothing gained, right? Exactly. But much to my surprise, 15 minutes later, I had an email back from him. And within two weeks of that email, I was hired as the general counsel of the restaurant group. Uh, There are five restaurants within the group. And then also Talk, which is a reservation software startup that Nick Kakonis also co-founded. Wow, what a pivotal moment. And there were actually other pivotal moments that a television show you just talked about and another podcast that you happened to be listening to. Did you start off wanting to make waffles as your main product or were you thinking about other things as you were sort of moving in this direction? No, it was waffles. And honestly, this wasn't a grand plan that I was building for years. It, it kind of hit me out of the blue in, in a similar way that moving from big law to in-house did. I had been working at the Alinea Group and talk for about three quarters of a year. And I was driving home from work one night and I was listening to a podcast about food. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> and it was talking about the frozen breakfast market and just how big it is how it's still so dominated by that one really famous brand that makes a brand of frozen waffles that we all know that I won't say <laughs> We <here>. won't mention. <laughs> we won't mention by name. I just found myself asking why. Working at the Illinois Urban Talk was really pivotal for me in a number of ways, not only because it was just so fun. It was a real dream job for a lawyer who loves food, but also because Nick Kakonis and Chef Ackett, who is the other co-founder of the group, are really famous for questioning the status quo always. They're always asking, when they opened Alinea, they asked, why do we have to plate food on plates? You know, why can't we put food directly on the tables? One of their most famous dishes is dessert that the chefs come out and they paint it directly on your table. And it's delicious and beautiful and really different. And Nick, who I worked most closely with, really instilled that mentality in me in my legal work. And so everything I did, it was, you know, why can't that contract be shorter? Why can't we do this in a more creative way? Why can't we do this more cost-effectively? And I think as I was listening to this podcast on my way home, I kind of heard Nick in my head asking, why? Why is this still the case? Why hasn't anybody come in and made a bigger dent 
in the market. I got home, I parked my car and from my car, I took out my phone and I ordered a mini waffle iron from Amazon Prime. <laughs> and that was the start of Evergreen. I, I began tinkering with recipes in my home kitchen shortly thereafter. But how do you begin to acquire the knowledge that you need to start any business, let alone a frozen food business? Where does one go to figure <laughs> that out? <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of like building the plane as you're flying it. I, it's kind of making it up as you go along. For example, I started playing with recipes in my kitchen and I came up with a set of recipes that I really liked. And I thought that, you know, would appeal to a broader market. But then there's a the question of these have to go into something, a right. bag or a box. And, and how do I even start thinking about that? And I had the good fortune of actually sitting on a panel at Northwestern Law and Business School in my capacity as a food lawyer. And there was another woman on the panel who had a bar that she sold in stores and on e-commerce. And I, I took her contact information after the panel and I reached out to her and I said, you know, I have this idea that I want to bring to market, but where did you get your packaging? And she told me who she used for design. And so I reached out to them and they became my designers. Wow. And so one piece of advice I like to give is never stop being a student. You might graduate from college or you might graduate from graduate school, but there are so many opportunities all around you at all times to keep learning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, had my eyes not been open as I was sitting on this panel, supposedly people were listening to me to learn things, <laughs> but I still was acting as a student on my own panel. And I learned a, a lot of really critical piece of information from another woman on the panel. Indeed. I, I'm going to guess that family members were the taste testers as you created these recipes. <laughs> yeah. Bless Indeed. my husband who has, had, who has had thousands of waffles over <laughs> the last several years. He's a real saint. But yes, I got, I got a lot of feedback from family and friends. What was the moment though, Emily, when you said to yourself, okay, as much as I'm enjoying being a lawyer in the food restaurant industry, I need to go all in on this. What was that moment like when you said that to yourself? There were two steps, you know, as any good risk averse lawyer <laughs> will do. <laughs> I didn't jump in with both feet right away. One of the reasons that frozen waffles in particular stood out to me was my husband and I were expecting our daughter at the time when I was listening to the podcast. And I knew that you feed toddlers and babies frozen waffles. And I knew I wasn't going to want to feed her the brand that I mentioned that I won't say by name uh, <laughs> because of all the, because of the preservatives and the refined sugars and all that was in, that was in there. I had my daughter in August of 2018 and then went back to work in November of 2018 and very quickly realized that when you are a working mom of a newborn, you no longer have nights and weekends mm. to kind of play with a side project. <laughs> and at this point I had been tinkering with recipes for, you know, three quarters of a year and felt really good about them and, and, and thought I had something promising. And so what really wasn't ready to give it up. So in January of 2019, I walked into Nick's office, my boss's office and told him could barely keep a straight face that I wanted to drop down a part-time because I wanted to start a frozen waffle company. <laughs> and I thought there was about a 50% chance he'd laugh at me and a 50% chance he'd fire me on the spot. <laughs> But he did neither. And he said, you know what, that's, that's fine. If you can get our work done in three days a week, you can do whatever you want on the other two. Wow. So that was my first, that was my first step, my cautious, lawyerly first step towards entrepreneurship. And then I had a call in mid 2020s. Pandemic was had already started. Mm. 
but Evergreen had launched on Whole Foods shelves in March of 2020. I knew at this point that we had some traction with the bigger market, and I was really excited about the sales data that I was seeing. And I had a call with another food brand owner who had been very successful and sold his brand. And the first thing he said when we got on the phone was, before we jump in, I just want to say that this is a really hard business. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing to give it 150% of your time, just do yourself the favor and don't even start. And I found myself sitting there thinking, well, I'm not even giving it 100% of my time. I'm giving it two, <laughs> two days a week, if that, even before I, we got through the rest of the conversation. In that moment, I knew that I had to really give this a go. I actually just started going full-time evergreen in August of 2020. So wow. I was working as the lawyer for a restaurant group and a reservation software service, which are obviously two industries that were heavily impacted by the pandemic. Fortunately, both of the companies that I worked for did an amazing job in, in pivoting during the mm -hmm. pandemic, but I didn't feel like I could leave them you know, in a lurch right at, the, right at the beginning of when things were shutting down. So I stuck around until August and I recruited and found my, found my replacement and trained her up and then I sat down. Amazing. Kind of crazy, <laughs> it is. Yeah. And, and I should point out, I, you, you kind of glossed over the fact that Whole Foods was your second vendor. Uh, that's pretty impressive to be able to get into a Whole Foods and then take it from there. How many Whole Foods, because you're pretty much in the, the Midwest right now, but I just want to point out, you can get her waffles online, which I'll give you that information coming up. But how did that, I mean, that's just amazing to get into Whole Foods. Yeah, I, it was certainly a huge moment in this company's life. You know, my first batch of waffles, I was working out of a shared commercial kitchen. It was just me making the waffles. I took that batch to my favorite corner store in Chicago at the time. I brought my household toaster and a thing of maple syrup and a plastic plate and asked them if they wanted to try my waffles. And they tried them and they loved them. They took them on the spot. So that was my first sale. It was feeling really confident after that first sale and decided, you know, why not apply to Whole Foods as a local vendor? Whole Foods has this great local program where they support vendors from the community and they work with them on kind of limited launches that the vendor can handle production wise. And I was told by some people, you know, you might want to wait until you've done more than like one batch of waffles <laughs> in a shared commercial kitchen before you apply to Whole Foods. And in my mind, I, I kind of felt like, no, why wait? Yeah, exactly. I, you know, what's the worst that can happen if they say no? Hopefully, I'll get some constructive feedback, and then I can improve my product or my packaging or whatnot, and be better prepared for the next time I apply. But they did not say no. They said yes. They asked, "How many stores do you want to launch in?" And I said, "How many stores are in Illinois?" And they said, "28." That sounds great. And then I immediately picked up the phone and started calling third-party manufacturers in the area because I knew I wasn't going to be able to supply yeah. that many stores. You myself. can't make that in your kitchen. <laughs> no, no. Um, and so fortunately, I was able to find a third-party manufacturer that I started working with a couple months before our launch in Whole Foods. So impressive. Just amazing. And uh, the other thing that I think is fascinating, too, is that when you did go full-time and you said, I'm all in, which was in August of 2020, which is still pretty much in the middle of the pandemic, 
Do you think that was an advantage? Because at that point in time, people were being forced to stay at home. They were buying up food. They were emptying frozen food aisles. And here you are with this new product. Do you consider that an advantage? I get asked this question a lot. And I think that it's really tricky because, well, first of all, I don't have really pre-pandemic data. so That's true. Good point by you. (laughs) I can't tell you if I'm doing better than I was pre-pandemic. You know, I think there are advantages, very perversely advantages, but also certainly disadvantages. So as you said, people are, they're home, they're taking more time to eat breakfast at home. They are stocking up their freezers because they're trying to go to the grocery store less often. So all of those things would certainly seem an advantage to a frozen, to a frozen brand. On the other hand, I haven't had available to me the best ways of raising brand awareness, especially for a new brand. If you remember pre-pandemic, you'd walk around a grocery store and there'd be tables set up where, where brands are giving away samples of their product. And those are called demo tables. And that is kind of the number one way for brands to get people to try their product and then hopefully then go buy it. Mm. Pre-pandemic, I had planned to be doing demo tables multiple days a week. That is a big part of an entrepreneur's schedule. And I have not done a single demo table at Whole Foods. So I think there are disadvantages. I think online shopping being so popular. There's less foot traffic in stores. And so people are, you know, taking their grocery lists and and shopping online. I think that probably disadvantages new brands because Mm. there's less opportunity for discovery. When I order food online, I have my list and I just go and I get those things. And I'm not exactly scrolling through page after page to find the the new exciting brand. At the end of the day, I I don't know if I come out ahead or behind, but I just feel so grateful that I was able to launch at all. You know, I exactly. launched in the second week of March. I, I've thought many times, you know, if my launch date was a week later, two weeks later, would I have launched at all? Would it have been pushed yeah. back? So I am so thankful to the employees at my manufacturer and the and the employees and my distributor and the employees at the grocery store who all made that happen in a really scary and uncertain time. No kidding. Well, obviously you don't need any legal help with your business, with your background. (laughs) And I know you're pretty involved on a day-to-day basis. And I think I read somewhere where you get up at 3.45 a.m. and you sample every batch. That's pretty impressive. And you just mentioned a moment ago, too, that the the person who gave you some advice about being 150% all in, that takes a lot. Does this feel like work to you? No, it it really doesn't. And that I think is the whole lesson. I know that the title of your podcast is live your best life. For me, living your best life is finding that thing that makes you tick. And that's going to be so different for so many people. For a lot of people, it'll be career wise. For a lot of people, it will be not having a career and staying at home with their family. I finally found what makes me tick and it, it doesn't feel like work. I won't say that I love waking up that early and going <laughs> to those food runs. It's probably my least favorite part of the job, but it all feels very much worth it. Well, you say you have no Sunday scaries anymore, which is which is fantastic. And to your point of this feeling like you're living your best life, this is why I do this show and why I have conversations with people like yourself who, who've taken that chance, who've, who've followed their passion in order to live their best life. So eating healthily, certainly another way to live your best life. And if you want to try Evergreen's frozen waffles, they do ship all across the United States. Just go to eatevergreen.com. That's eatevergreen.com. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today. And I wish you continued success, not only as an entrepreneur, but as another female entrepreneur myself. Hey, let's hear it for the women power out there, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much, Liz. 
And thank you to all of you for listening in. It's time for me to go make another waffle. So until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.